Welcome to the Simpler Business Podcast, where we talk about ways to do what you love and serve your people in a way that brings you income and freedom. I'm your host, Marissa Roberts. Join me as I chat with my favorite entrepreneurs about how they simplify their biz so that you can simplify yours. Is it possible to be profitable while you grow your business? I know a lot of us expect slow growth and not much revenue in the first couple of years of running our businesses because that's what we hear over and over again in the media and on socials. People's hard slog that they did for the first 12 to 24 months of their business, the struggle story before they made it big. You need to put in a couple of years of hard work before you see any traction in terms of revenue generation and you should expect to pay out more than you bring in. But does that really have to be the case? I personally know of a few entrepreneurial friends who started seeing growth and profit within a few weeks of starting their businesses, some service-based, some coaching. I haven't heard of any product-based businesses personally yet, but I'm interested to find out if that's possible too. My special guest today says profitability is possible while you grow your biz, but you need to understand your numbers and create an intentional financial plan in order to set yourself up for success. Host of the Profit and Prosper podcast and founder of Young & Co, Sarah Young is obsessed with helping business owners find financial peace and generate freedom and wealth. Sarah spent years honing her business and accounting skills at large companies, but after finding that working with small business owners was far more fulfilling than working for large companies, Sarah decided to commit to helping business owners be more well and wealthy. Sarah believes there's way more to finances than your tax return, and she helps her clients think about their finances holistically in order to maximize their overall profits so they can create more peace and stability in their life build their wealth and leave a legacy. And that just to me sounds so amazing. She says, we're going to cycle through phases of growth and stability in our businesses. And whatever phase we're in, there are a few key things we need to do to grow our business without losing all of our money. It comes down to being proactive versus reactive by being intentional about how we handle our finances, which I have to admit is not my strong suit. So I am so happy to have Sarah here talking with us about finances today. Welcome, Sarah. Hello. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Money was the big thing when I got started in my business because I did the same thing so many of us do. I left corporate so I could have my own business and have more freedom. And I I don't I don't know what I was thinking, but I had no actual plan at the start. I just put my offers out there and hoped for the best. I didn't really think about how much money I needed to pay for my expenses, to keep the business running, and then how much money I needed coming into actually cover the amount of work I was doing and make sure I wasn't working for less than minimum wage, which I think is a trap that a lot of us fall into. We end up working more than full-time hours for nowhere near full-time money within the first year or two of our business. And then it kind of kicks in. I would love to help people avoid that trap. And I think knowing your numbers and knowing your money is the first step, right? But we're all a bit scared to do it. Yes. I mean, I hear this all the time. I think 90% of the time when I get on a consult with a new business owner, especially if it's a woman, one of the first things out of their mouth tends to be, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm not good at numbers. I'm not good at money stuff. Like I just don't even know where to begin. And honestly, this wasn't even on my talking points for today. But the first thing I think you need to realize is if you're saying that you're putting that belief in your head. And I think the longer I'm in business, the more I realize that my my mindset and the thoughts that I have about myself impact every single action and decision that I make in my business. And so maybe if instead we just reframe that and say, hey, like this is something I can learn. I'm smart. I'm good at what I do. Like this is just a skill that you can certainly hone over time. So I would say, let's start with that too. And just make sure that we're not holding ourselves back unintentionally by putting ourselves down and not believing that it's even possible. I love that. That's so true. And, you know, when I look at my kids and they were first started learning how to walk when they were toddlers, I wasn't like, hey, you little dummy, how come you haven't got this right now? I was like, yeah, you're taking your first step. You're interested in reaching for things. Why can't I do that for myself, right, in business? (laughs) People aren't scared of making money, but they are scared of what? looking at the actual ins and outs of what's happening in their business, right? So I I totally get that. You don't want to feel like a failure. You don't want um, 
bad news to be prominent when you're trying your best to grow your business and be positive about it. So I get that whole head in the sand feeling people get in the first year or two of their business where they're like, if any money is coming in, that's great. But I don't really want to know. I think knowing how your business is really doing is really important and getting comfortable looking at your profit and loss sheet can actually be quite empowering once you get past that fear and take a look because it'll show you exactly where you are now and it'll help you make a plan to go forward that'll focus on actually making a profit instead of just keeping everything going. So what would you say when you're looking at your numbers, when you're looking at your books or your profit and loss sheet, what would you say would be the three most important things, the most important financial numbers that matter the most when you're looking at yes. that? You know, I think every business owner might have to tweak some of these, but there's a handful I think that are important for everybody. I think the first thing to know though is, yes, it can be hard to look under the hood because it's like, oh, it's going to show me how bad I've been doing. Or, you know, maybe you'll, maybe it won't actually show you how bad you've been doing, but a lot of people are just afraid to look under the hood. And just remind yourself, your numbers, your finances, it's just data. And it's not like money by itself is not judging you. Like it's not, you know, there's no like good or bad. It just is. And like all the judgment around it is self-imposed. So I think the first thing is we just use it as data and we use it to make decisions to move forward And we use it to make smart choices. I mean, I find most business owners have a pretty solid intuition of what's working and what's not in their business, but there's always places that we can improve, I think. And it's also super helpful just to be aware of what is actually working the best out of the offers that you have. Most people have more than one offer. Which one is working the best? Which one is making you the most money so that if you come to me and say, where should I grow? What should I focus on? I know what to tell you because it's this one. It's whatever is working the best. We're going to double down on that and do more. So I think to start off with the first number is obviously sales. But what I find that most people do, interestingly, when I get financials for a new client, inevitably what I see is this whole long list of expenses where they've gotten really granular on you know, software subscriptions versus, you know, whatever, Canva subscription versus rent versus office supplies. You know, they have this whole long list of outflows that they've like gotten really granular categorizing those, but they have how many lines for sales? One. (laughs) Yeah. They have one line on their profit and loss statement for sales, which I find so interesting because isn't sales probably the most important thing in your business. So, you know, we want to be able to track sales and I want you to be able to look at your financials and just know very quickly, how much are you selling between all your different offers? So the first thing that I like to say is go in and let's make some different accounts for your different things that you sell. So I'll use mine as an example. So you can kind of see what I mean. On my PL, you're going to see a line for virtual CFO services. That's where the retainer, the monthly retainer income for our monthly clients goes. You're going to see a line for tax package. My tax package, that is our, you know, tax service. So I can see the CFO versus the tax revenue. You're going to see a line for programs um, and maybe like an other line. I forget off the top of my head, but I've got them bucketed into the big buckets. And so I know, you know, here is how much I'm doing in each offer. Here's how much it's grown over time. Here's like the month by month trends by offer. It just helps you get more granular so you can see which one is making you the most money. I actually did this exercise with somebody last week and she was like, oh yeah, I have this other offer that I do every now and then. Um, and I went back and looked at it and she was basically telling me like, this isn't something that she makes a ton of money off of. It takes too much time. She's like, I don't feel like I can let it go. Um, I feel like I need to have this offer out there for whoever wants to buy it. And we did this exercise of splitting it out. And she had made like $500 off of it in the last few months. And I said, you're making $20,000 off of your main offer and you're making $500 off of this one. Why on earth do you need to keep it? And she was like, oh yeah, you're right. (laughs) That's what I mean. It's just data, right? It helps you to 
think more clearly when your brain is telling you all these things as to why you can or can't do something, just go back to the data. Yeah, I think you're so right about the data because we're so emotionally tied to the decisions that we make in our business and the outcomes of those decisions. And, you know, rightly so, of course, we're going to be to our own business. But you're right. As soon as you said it's just data, I realized that's how I can emotionally remove myself from, you know, that sort of fear or guilt or imposter syndrome that comes with making my offers and sales. As soon as I start looking at the numbers, and I guess that's what large companies do, right? They don't sit down in a big meeting and and personally berate all of the managers and staff working there. They have offers that they give, they run the data on what's performing well, and they base their seasonal promotions on what does well at what time of the year. I mean, that just makes perfect sense to me. I love that. Yeah. So let's just do what they do. Interestingly, like I come from that background. I used to work in, you know, one of the big four accounting firms, and then I worked at a large public company. And so I was in charge of reporting there. And I'm, I learned, you know, how you have those things where you have a skill and you don't realize that other people aren't good at doing the thing that you're good at. The reporting was for me, that was that thing where I realized that good reporting is a communication skill. And it's just like taking the large amounts of data and showing it to somebody in a way that tells a story and makes sense and tells you, are you on track or off track? And I mean, that's what big companies do. I spent all of my time just doing reporting. And so I think when we look at small business owners, no, you don't have to go to the extent that they do. Certainly not. But we can do better about using our reporting to make data-driven decisions. Yeah. So the first one was sales. And a quick add-on to that, I think that I always like to track KPIs, so key performance indicators, in addition to sales like by your big buckets of sales or categories, offers that you sell. I also like to track like a sales per customer metric. So for example, I have, you know, if I've got 10 CFO retainer clients, I'm going to take my total CFO revenue for the month and divide that by the 10 clients. So I can track over time, how much money am I getting on average per client? And I want to obviously maximize that over time. The same would be if you have, a product-based business, or even if you have a more like productized service, like maybe a course or something like that, I would still say, you know, total sales divided by the number of orders that you had to say the average dollar value per order, because a lot of times people assume that to make more money, you need to sell more volume. You have to get more customers. But if you actually look analytically at the dollar per customer, or dollar per client, are there ways that you could increase that without having to go sell more? That is a really great way to grow your business profitably, right? Yeah, because you're looking at people who have already loved what you do so much, they've given you money for it. So it makes sense to bring in more money or give them more of an opportunity to work with you further or buy from more from you. So do you think that's that would work in the terms of, say, upselling on a checkout page or bundling offers or reaching out to past clients and offering to work with them again. It all kind of ties up with that sort of idea. Yep. Yep, All the above. (laughs) Yeah. That makes so much sense because we always think in terms of, yeah, I made that sale. I finished that project. Where's my next paycheck coming from? Or where's my next sale coming from? We forget about people that we've worked with a year ago, two years ago, six months ago. We forget about the person who bought from us last week, but we have another offer that complements the one that they're already working on. Yeah, that's such Mm -hmm. a big aha moment. I know. If you have something that is like the obvious next step for them to take, you maybe already have that offer or maybe you've just worked with them enough and you're like, oh, this would be a great thing. This is what they're going to need next. Put it together and then take some time and say, you know, just check in, checking in, just want to see how things are going. How, how did this go or whatever, right? The same thing goes for, again, like the product-based businesses. Maybe it's like the bundling or if I have a course and on my checkout page, I'm going to say, Hey, like, you know, one of my upsells is a QuickBooks power hour, like that I get my team to go clean up somebody's QuickBooks file. Right. And, you know, that's just something it's like, they're already there. They're already like you, they're already buying from you. The most one of the most profitable ways to increase your overall cash flow is just maximize on that recurring revenue or repeat customers. 
Yeah. And repeat customers, if they love what you do, they want you to offer it, right? Like I have, I was just thinking, I have this amazing um, massage therapist that I go to and she's, she's fantastic. I first started seeing her because I was in a lot of pain and she helped me get through all of that. And then when I didn't have the pain anymore, there was kind of like this awkward moment where she was like, well, and I had to say, can I still come back in three months? Cause just kind of like for a tune up because I feel really good. And she's like, okay. But even now still after every appointment, that's when we book the next one, but I'm kind of waiting for her to say to me, so let's book a year's worth of appointments in advance so that you're locked in. And I don't think she's ever thought of that. And I haven't had the guts to actually say, can you just book me in every three months for a year? So I know when I'm coming back and I don't have to reschedule, I should really just say that. But if that was in her business model to offer that to people oh now I'm thinking where can I offer that in my business right <laughs> just opens a whole floodgate doesn't it yeah 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 that's a really powerful and thing. that's yeah that's not to say you need to have a ton of different offers but if it's you know something that's still in your wheelhouse that you can still you know execute on and deliver then you know it makes sense to do it and then when you get to a place where you have a team like I just gave the example of offering an upsell that my team completely delivers start to finish. This isn't something that I have to do, but it's still increasing the, you know, order value. So I think all good things to think about. Yeah. Not Um, a ton of extra work either. You're not doing a lot of hustle. You're not doing a lot of delivery. Just makes sense. Yeah. Everybody's happy. Yeah. Yeah. And I also just really quickly to add on to that, I think with product-based businesses, I mean, how many product-based businesses have to run ads Mm-hmm. right to get the customers in the door that's just is seems like that's the business model if you have an e-commerce business and i mean i've seen a lot of them don't focus a lot of energy on getting repeat customers and you know it's so expensive to acquire a client if you use ads like if you're not considering ways to get them back in the door then i think you're leaving money on the table so yeah those or are my have thoughts. Them more yeah actually yeah. right i bought some candles last year and I have this problem with candles where you light them and then a couple of hours later you get like this big hole in the middle of the candle and then it only works for a little while and then you're like, now I can't light it. I have to throw the candle out. I've been buying candles for 10 years now and it was only last year that I went on a company website where they said just under my choice of candle, they said don't forget your candle care kit where we show you how to make it last for this amount of time. It was such an easy tick. I was so glad that they did it because I didn't know that I needed it. They had all of their candle care sits, kits probably sitting in the warehouse. I had no idea they even existed. I didn't know to trim the wick or snuff the candle or, you know, like we don't know as customers what we what else we want or what else is going to make a difference. So, yeah, why not put it right in front of us? If you've done an ad that got me to your webpage to buy one thing, why not offer me the thing that's going to make that thing even better? Yeah. 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 And you as the business owner, if you're the service-based business owner, then you are the expert in what you're doing. I I know what my clients need, even if they don't need it. And so I think it's up to you to sort of offer that to them as like, Hey, if you want this, then this is what I recommend. And just, you know, be detached. Sometimes I'll say no, but it doesn't really cost you that much to reach out and ask. Yeah. It's a recommendation, not a hard sell. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. So, okay. The first one was sales. The second sort of thing that you really need to focus on is expenses, obviously, but I like to break expenses out really into two categories. One category is looking at what is your, you know, current just ongoing overhead? What's the baseline? What are the things that you need just to keep running in your business? Like just the day-to-day stuff. Um, So that would be things like just your ongoing software subscriptions. Maybe if you have office rent, maybe you know, you've got a VA, you've got some team members. These are just like recurring monthly expenses. I like to know those numbers. And then separately, I also encourage people to go back and look at any other like one-off project type expenses. These are what I would call investments, right? So we have our sort of ongoing overhead versus the investments. And the reason I like to split these out is you know, we want to make sure I'm not somebody who advocates for being frugal as, you know, frugality, I don't think is necessarily the fastest path to wealth. That could be like a whole other podcast episode, honestly. 
And so, but I'm also at the same time, I'm not going to tell you, you know, it doesn't matter how much you spend in a given month because, you know, if you let your overhead expenses just kind of pile up and pile up over time and you're not actually paying attention to it, then, you know, you might have stuff in there. If you were to look at your monthly expenses, there could totally be things you could cut out. I actually did this with my software subscriptions a few months ago. I just pulled a list of all of the software expenses I had. And I found a couple where I wasn't using the premium version, but I was paying for it. And I think I saved myself like $50 a month or something, which is small, but these types of things add up. And so we want to make sure that you are optimizing the monthly overhead expenses and, you know, being smart about what do you need to execute on your like your sales, right? Like what do you really need to run your business? Because when a business grows, it can be really easy for those expenses to start to get out of hand quickly. Mm. And so we want to know, you know, what are sort of the baseline expenses and also how much revenue do you need coming in to just cover those every month? But then what I also say is like the next step is looking at your current team and your current systems. What is the, what is the capacity? Like if they were operating at or near capacity. And I won't say a hundred percent because that's not realistic for anybody, but you know, if your team was operating at like 75% or 80% capacity, then how much revenue could you bring in so that you're smart about saying, okay, let's get up to that, you know, capacity level. And then looking at what investments do I need to make to then increase your capacity to the next level? And then your investments, what I like to look at is saying, you know, what, what return are you getting on these investments? Because when you do these like one-off projects, they tend to cost a lot of money all in one go, right? You get your website redone, you have your branding redone, you hire a consultant to help you do this thing. Like it typically costs thousands of dollars easily. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure that that gave you a good return. So a lot of times people say, well, what should I invest in, right? And I like to say the answer is wherever you are getting sort of roadblocked, right? Like looking back at your capacity. When I think back to business school, I had this one operations class that was horrible. But the one thing I remember from this class was they were talking about this case study of a manufacturing facility where they were trying to figure out how to increase the output of the manufacturing facility. And they realized that they had been trying to fix all of these different machines and train their people and blah, blah, blah. But ultimately they had a bottleneck in one part of the the factory. And with a bottleneck, you can fix, you can optimize everything before the bottleneck Mm. and after the bottleneck. But until you remove the one bottleneck, like you're not going to make any more money. And so the same thing goes for your business. So when you think about what do you want to invest in, that's why I like to be clear on like, what are you spending just on a given month and looking at, well, if I were to fix one thing, maybe two things, what would give me the biggest ROI in terms of increasing my ability to make more sales, right? And so when we talk about how to grow your business profitably, I think making smart investments that pay off is really key to doing it in a way that, you know, you don't lose all your money. Yeah, that's a really good point because as soon as we have money coming in, there's this temptation to use it to grow your business further, but you can't, you don't want to run out of money (laughs) entirely. You need to make a profit as well. And I think knowing what the the most sensible decision is, what's actually going to move your business forward in terms of investment. Yeah, that can help with a lot more confidence in the long-term success of your business too, can't it? Yes. Yeah. Well, you think about, I mean, new business owners starting up, what do they normally spend money on, right? They tend to think they have to have the fancy website and somebody give them a logo and do all these other things. And really when you're brand new in business, nobody cares, right? Nobody is buying from you because you have a fancy logo and a pretty website. Like that's not it. And so when you put money there, that's just an easy example of spending money on stuff that really doesn't give you a good return, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, some people are going into debt to be able to pay for that because they think, oh, that's important. But actually, no, it's just 
you know, I, I've got quite a few friends who run service-based businesses who felt bad that they didn't have a fancy logo or a fancy website or even a fancy business name for the first year or two. But then I look at, you know, how their business is running and they filled their client docket within, what, two months? So I'm like, don't be ashamed of that. That's actually what everybody else's goal is, is to be able to do that. So how you look online isn't necessarily a reflection of how well your business is running. And yes. I guess that can go both ways, can't it? Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, okay, so then the third one, I feel like we've gotten, I've gone way down the rabbit hole on these, but the it's such the an third interesting one, rabbit hole, though. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like I think that sometimes people think about finance stuff and they think it's going to be super complicated, and they think, oh my god, I've got to go spend hours and hours and hours on bookkeeping. It's got to be down to the penny, and like none of these things that I'm asking you really require super granular bookkeeping. And I'm not saying that's not important. Like everybody needs to have clean books so that, you know, you know, you're not doing things wrong, but Mm -hmm. I don't think any of these things, like you could sit down with a bank statement and figure these things out in 30 minutes if you wanted to. Yeah. So don't let that hold you back. Um, The third number I think matters is looking at your profit margins. And if you are a product-based business owner, then I would say, I want to know your gross profit and your net profit. So gross profit is when you have your sales minus your cost of goods sold. That's basically every time you sell another unit of whatever you're selling, how much money are you keeping? Mm -hmm. Um, Because that, if you don't pay attention to like the product costs, the shipping, the packaging, like all the pieces that go into putting it together, Um, that number for a product-based business might actually be more important than sales because if you're selling a lot, but you're not actually profiting every time you sell something, then you're not going to be able to grow your business. I actually have one client. This particular one is one of my larger ones. They do like 12 to 15 million in revenue per year. And we did a deep dive after we got their stuff cleaned up and we said, your gross profit based on what the industry is doing should be 10% higher which on their revenue corresponds to literally $100,000 a month in cash. It's because they have the volume, right? But like that is, it's a powerful number. If you are a service-based business, then like you're not going to have gross profit, but I care about your net profit margin. And this is one where I think people, you said this earlier where you're talking about, am I working for minimum wage? If you sit down and do the math, That is really important because when you are, especially when you're first starting up, you're a solopreneur, you're doing all the work, you're not going to see the expense, quote unquote, the cost of your time reflected in your financials because you're not generally going to be an employee, right? Mm -hmm. And so people forget, they think, oh, every time I make a sale, that's just cash in my pocket. But If you were to ask yourself, well, what if I hired somebody to come in and do the work that I'm doing? Could you afford to pay that person? And I actually find that in many cases, the answer is no. Mm -hmm. (laughs) No, I couldn't afford to pay them or I could just barely squeak by. I think that when you think about your profit in your business, you need to consider that. So obviously you take out, you take your sales, subtract out all your expenses, and then you're left with what we traditionally think of as profit. But then I would also say, like, what should you be paying yourself? And do you have profit above and beyond that? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, then you're doing great. If the answer is no, then we need to look back and say, well, we've got to pull, you know, pull some levers in here, increase your income, cut out your expenses, figure out a new business model or restructure your offers or whatever it is to get you to where you're more profitable. So paying attention to your profit margin, but especially after you include like you, the cost of your time, if you put a value to that, are you making money or not? Yeah, that's a good point. And that's, I think that's the key to scaling your business too, is you can't do everything yourself all the time. You need to get to a point where things are running smoothly enough that you can start to outsource and delegate or bring on team members or, you know, let somebody else do the things that aren't your zone of genius that will free you up to do the things that you're good at, which in turn helps your business grow and helps you make more sales. And I think a lot of us know that subconsciously, but we still have this fear of, yes, but if I'm not doing it all myself, I do need to find the money somewhere in the start to afford to pay to get someone else to do it. And we trap ourselves in this cycle of I'm not making enough from my business yet to go and hire somebody. But if I never hire anybody, I'm not going to be able to 
start making more money in my business. And I think that's where a lot of the fear comes in too. Yeah. It's a little bit of a chicken and the egg situation, right? Mm-hmm. And it's hard. It's totally hard. And so um, one of the things, so I had a podcast episode about this idea of can you grow profitably? And in that podcast episode, um, I talked about being in growth mode versus profit mode. Mm-hmm. And I this was honestly not something that I really felt until I had gone through a few seasons of it in my own business. And so I think you have to recognize to get out of the chicken and the egg situation, I think what you have to do is number one, when you are in what I would call a profit mode or a stability mode, you need to be profitable. It's profit mode for a reason. And the point of that is basically to pile up money, to have, you know, build up a cash cushion in your business intentionally so that when you are ready to go into a growth mode, you've got money there. Because when you're in growth mode, you tend to have to increase your expenses, right? Mm-hmm. So either that's hiring a team member and you don't see the impact of on your sales of hiring the team member and increasing your capacity until probably a couple months later, at least, right? Yeah. Or maybe you do a project to improve all of your systems and your operations. Like that's not going to flow through for a couple months. And so when we talk about growing profitably, I think you know, yes, are there going to be times where your PL, if you're looking at cash, like you have a negative? Yes. But that doesn't necessarily signal anything bad, in my opinion, if you are in a place where you have the cash to pay for it. So I think we have to make sure, like, acknowledge if you're in a profit mode and take intentional steps to prepare yourself to go into growth mode. And have the money to make those investments, have the money to keep paying you a salary so that you, you know, don't run up your credit card bill or whatever, right? Um, To sort of navigate through that growth mode. Yeah. And I think over time, we get to know our businesses too, you know, like uh, service providers, for example, will know that there are certain seasons of the year that are busier than others. And coaches know that when they have a launch, they have a big lump sum of money coming in, but then they might have a few sort of slower months after that. So I think a lot of it is about getting to know when things go well in your business. <laughs> we, ha- we need to get out of that mindset of, hey, I just had a great launch. Now I can go blow all that money on a fancy website. No. <laughs> No, that money needs to last you three months until you get to your next launch or whatever it is. Yeah, no, like I know, for example, it's early October right now. I know that in the next six months, that's my busiest time for people needing finance help. Yeah. So, you know, if I want to grow my business, then leading up to this, I have been in a profit mode. And so I'm doing things to set myself up for success in growth mode, including building up my cash cushion so that I can like hire team members or do whatever I need to do to capitalize on that. Right. Cause I want to grow my business and I need to be set up so that when I know the customers are coming in, I can execute. Yeah. That's a really good point. All right. So we've got all this background knowledge now that we're building on where we all well, foundational knowledge, I think is a better way to put it that we're building on so that we can have more confidence in how our business is going to work out long-term What about when it comes to people who aren't naturally good at numbers, we don't love the numbers, we know we should be looking at these things now and now we know what to look for. Is it okay to start to outsource that first? Because I have to admit, whenever I looked at my books, I I just have, I don't have a brain for it. I get really cranky sitting down and trying to look at my books, no matter how well my business is doing. So for me, outsourcing to a bookkeeper, that was the first thing I ever outsourced. I didn't outsource to a team member for admin or sales. I went straight to bookkeeping. So for people, whether or not they feel they're ready for it yet, how how should they look at things like hiring a bookkeeper? and a tax expert, a CFO, how does that kind of fit in when you're, say, a solopreneur? What would you recommend there? So I think that I do think it's helpful. My take on it is most of the people I work with are like you. They don't want to know all the ins and outs of finance stuff. And I don't think you should. So if you imagine, you know, the successful CEO who you know has got a million dollars in the bank. Do you think 
they're doing their own bookkeeping. No, they're not. (laughs) And I think this goes with any team member hiring. I think you just need to be, you need to, you need to think about what's the ROI, right? The return on investment. And I find that, you know, getting a bookkeeper or a VA or anybody to help you with those like administrative type tasks Um, I've seen, you know, a lot of people call them like the $10 an hour versus like a thousand dollar, $10,000 an hour task. Like just the things that aren't really, um, directly going to result in a lot of money. Then I would say, yeah, absolutely outsource those. But I think that one of the things that I find people get frustrated by when it comes to having a finance team is they don't understand what the different roles are. And so I find people will have a bookkeeper, they'll have a tax preparer. And the job of a bookkeeper is to code your transactions and reconcile your bank account and probably run your reports straight out of your QuickBooks or whatever system you use, right? The job of a tax preparer is to prep your tax returns. They're going to take your P&L and they're going to put it on your tax return. But I find that business owners tend to need more than that Mm -hmm. because, you know, that is, it is administrative type stuff. Um, And again, like it has to be done, but those are not by themselves going to necessarily give you the information that you need to be able to make the decisions to grow your business. And so I would say, yeah, like definitely start with the bookkeeping. I would definitely do, you know, a tax accountant, especially if you have like, um, at least in the U.S., we have like TurboTax, which I think if you have a service not a service-based business, maybe a really simple business. I'm comfortable with people doing that. I actually had a consult with this guy the other day who bought a business that was doing high six figures in revenue and he bought it with his wife and he was going to have to have, you know, a partnership tax return. It's just like very complicated. And he was trying to talk himself into DIYing that. And I was like, please don't, No, (laughs) please don't. You're going to miss something and lose money that way. Oh my gosh. I know it's not worth the time and energy that it would take to try to figure it out, honestly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that understanding like the role that they have is really important. And that is honestly why I started doing CFO work. So I decided to hang out my sign as an accountant years ago. And I said, well, what do accountants do? And the answer is, you know, in most cases they do bookkeeping and they do tax prep. So I started to do that. And then I realized that for business owners, they have these questions about, I just don't understand what this is. Like, what should my numbers be? How can I create a plan, right? How can I do a forecast? How can I optimize my cash flow? And that's why I started doing the CFO work. Mm-hmm. So I think being able to answer those higher level questions and the strategic questions is where the CFO comes in. And, you know, if you get to a place where you're feeling sort of frustrated because no one's answering those for you, I think that that's why, you know, yeah, you might need to look at the, yeah. yeah, it's the difference between reporting and advising, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I try to do is just a high level, not try, listen to me, try to do, this is what I do. <laughs> I'm telling you mindset stuff. No, this is what I do is just the 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 strategic questions that um, are really like next level. And though those are the questions that you need to be asking yourself, I think, in order to be able to grow your business. Yeah. Okay. I think that's a really good point because I think that kind of gets you out of your whole headspace and confusion of what's going on behind the scenes of your business and frees you up as the business owner to go, right, I've got somebody who's an expert in it, taking care of it for me. I don't have to struggle through. I don't have to make guesses on what I'm going to do. I can just talk to somebody who has seen it all before and knows the common pitfalls and hurdles or the things to look out for or has ideas on what other businesses similar to mine have, you know, things that have worked for them. I think that's that's going to kind of shorten your pathway to success anyway, really, and take a lot of yeah. pressure off at the same time. Yeah. Well, I think that sometimes people assume that they're supposed to know these things mm-hmm. already just by being a business owner, but the reality is most people don't. Yeah. I mean, just in general, I think we know universally find people don't have a ton of financial literacy, you know, and I wish that people did. I think that they should, but it's just not something that 
we learn in school most of the time. So, you know, understanding like, it's okay. If you don't understand these things, like I said, at the beginning, it's a skill that you can certainly learn and, you know, hire an expert for. Yeah. Everybody thinks I have to be successful in order to have a bookkeeper, an accountant, or in order to have a CFO that I'm talking with. But no, actually, if you have those things, that's going to help you become more successful. You don't have to be super successful in order to engage people in that area. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's important. The last thing I'll say is I think it's important, much like we talked about looking at your overhead expenses Like if you're going to hire a bookkeeper or a CFO, that's generally going to be a recurring sort of monthly expense. And so you need to be clear on, okay, if hiring this person is going to save me this many hours a month, then what are the things I'm going to be able to do with that time to be able to grow my business and make it worthwhile, right? Because we don't want to just spend the money and then, you know, just spend the money. You're not getting any return off of it. And I'm not saying that all of your time has to be like super productive, but I think hiring out these things strategically will give you more time and space and brain space in order to be an effective CEO. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. All right. So we've got the foundation set then in in that case for our business. We're knowing our numbers. We've got people to talk to about it. Some of the things that my listeners come back to me about all the time is, yes, okay, we know how to run things now, but we still want to make more money and we still want to stop losing money. So have you got any reliable or quick tips on, okay, any ideas on how to increase revenue and decrease expenses? Because I know we talked a bit before about upselling and bundling and working with clients that we've worked with before. Anything else around those lines that you want to share with people that might give them some ideas? Yes. I mean, I think for increasing revenue, I have seen, I must have seen easily over a hundred businesses at this point. And I think that probably at least 80% of the time people need to charge more, especially women. They tend to undercharge. Um, I actually did that in my own business too, just undercharged, over-delivered, wanted to please people like so many of us do, but they ended up getting burned out. So I think just universally, I want to challenge, you know, can you, can you raise your prices? Can you make the shift into a more high ticket premium offer? Um, Because typically that will be a much easier way for you to, you know, grow your business and make more money. Mm -hmm. Um, But when we think about increasing revenue, actually, I think most people, like I said before, they tend to think I have to do more volume. So the best way for me to make more money is to just bring on more customers and they think I need to go out into the world and run ads or do whatever to get more eyeballs on my stuff, which will then result in more sales, right? But actually don't always think that's a good idea. So when we think about increasing revenue, there's really like several pieces of that um, that I would consider. Number one is, yes, how many leads do you get? Like how many eyeballs do you hit your website? How many people are in your audience? That is super important. But then my next question would be, how many of those leads actually convert? Mm. And right, so if I'm, you know, a service-based business, I do sales calls for my CFO clients. Something that I do and I encourage all my clients to do is track how many sales calls are you having and how many close? Yeah. I actually had a client a couple months ago who she wanted to put a ton of money into ads to get more customers off of Google. And I said, well, hold on, you're having sales calls. How many are converting? And she went back and did the math and she was getting about 20%. Mm-hmm. And I said, I feel like that's low for a service-based business. Um, I think that there's things that you can do to optimize the messaging, optimize the sales call process to get that up to like 50% would be a better target. I think if you're closing almost all your sales calls, you probably are undercharging, but that's another mm. a whole nother like level thing, right? <laughs> yeah. So in her case, we had to go back and figure out, well, not we, but I have helped her think through how can she close higher, a higher percentage of her sales calls So that when she went to turn on ads and got more leads, a higher percentage of those were closing. And therefore she's reducing how much money she even has to spend on ads to acquire customers because 
she's getting a higher percentage. The same goes again, if you have um, a website, you can track how many people are on your coming to your website versus how many actually buy something, just looking at that conversion rate. So it's the number of leads and how many convert. Yeah. And then I think the third part is the pricing, right? So making sure that your pricing is optimal. I think the fastest way to increase your cash flow is generally going to be to raise your prices. Yeah. But, you know, a lot of people have resistance to that for a variety of reasons. And so, you know, I'd say um, looking at ways to increase the order value, like we've already talked about, would be another way to increase your revenue. Go get repeat customers. People forget that stuff all the time. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, decreasing expenses. I have done the math on this so many times. I find, you know, again, I'm not here advocating for you to go spend all your money on stuff that doesn't matter. But when I do the math, I actually have this um, like calculator tool in my group program and with my clients I use where we reverse engineer the revenue goal. So we put in like, how much money do you need to pay yourself? How much profits, taxes, overhead expenses, et cetera, et cetera, and back into the revenue goal. And they're like, well, what if I cut $500 of expense over here? And we go and we do the math and the impact on the revenue goal is generally, you know, $500. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, looking at, you know, the offers you have, the pricing, like, is that really going to move the needle? No. I mean, is it helpful if you don't need to spend the $500? Don't spend it. But at the same time, generally growing your business is going to be more dependent on having a very clear path to increasing your sales, right? But doing it in a way that's profitable. So again, you can't just like bring in more sales. And then if you're not making money at the end of the day, going back to the profit margin metric, if you're not profitable, if you can't afford to hire out somebody to do what you do, for example, then growing that offer is not going to result in more cash flow. So that's why I think we need to look at the ongoing overhead expenses and then also the investments that you're making, like the one-off projects and making sure you're not just spending all your money just to spend it. Yeah, that's a really good point. So we really need to focus on our entire relationship with our customer really as opposed to getting a quick sale and hoping for the best and also making sure that when we if we're selling more, we're actually able to deliver on what we're selling without burning out so that we can survive more than two years in business. Because I think that's where a lot of product-based businesses suffer because they might get an influx of orders and then not have a team, for example, that's able to package and deliver them within a certain timeframe. And that leads to bad reviews and then everything goes pear-shaped at that point. So really, instead of just reacting to things that are happening in the business, having that plan and forecasting and being able to know, well, what can I actually handle and how do I set up my business so that if I do grow and scale, I can keep delivering a high quality product or service to my customer and then grow from there is a really important thing too. Yeah. Yes. I love to ask the question, if five times the customers showed up at your door next week, what would happen? Mm-hmm. Like, actually think about that. Like, what would happen? And I think if you think through the whole process from them finding you to like closing the deal to delivering the product, delivering the service, you're going to realize I've got places where things are going to fall through the cracks. And that goes back to what should you invest your money in or time in? Those are the things you need to fix. Right. Because if you do, if you grow your business without having the foundational stuff in place, it will break. I have seen it happen. Yeah. It's not pretty. No. And you don't want to put all that time and effort into something and then have it all crash as a result just because you didn't have a chance to take the time and really think strategically about what you're doing. So, yeah, that's really helpful. Sarah, this has been such a fun conversation. And I say that as somebody who really didn't find numbers or money that interesting. Like I love what I do and I love getting paid well for it. And that's where it ended for me before. So to have somebody come on to go, actually, this is what that data actually means. And this is how you can... um, translate those numbers into actual steps for your business that are going to help it grow and scale. This has been really, really helpful for me. And I know a lot of our listeners will have found it helpful too. So where can they find you if they want more from you? Is your website the best place? Socials? Where should they go? 
Yeah. Well, if you love podcasts, I assume you do. If you're listening to this one, I have a podcast. It is Profit and Prosper. It's actually Profit Plus Prosper because math, I'm (laughs) kind of a nerd, but Profit and Prosper. Um, You can find me on Instagram at it's Sarah Young. I think all the links will be in the show notes, but go and check out. I've got, you know, tons of episodes. I don't talk about the boring number stuff for that exact reason, because I think that those are not, you know, talking about the nitty gritty of bookkeeping and tax deductions and all of that. Like, yes, it's important. And yes, I need to know that as the expert. I don't think that you as a business owner need to focus on those things. So I don't talk about them. I talk about, you know, really like tying your money and your financial goals back to why you're even in business in the first place. And how do you actually like build wealth from your business um, so that you're not always on the cash flow hamster wheel. So go listen to my podcast. You can send me a message on Instagram, you know, share that you listen to this and tag us in your stories. I love to see it and talk to people. Yeah, I love that. And I know you've got a quiz on your website too that I think people will find really helpful because it helps them discover the next step to a more profitable business. So is it cool if I share the link in the show notes to that quiz as well? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, I find that businesses go through stages of business. I have the quiz broken down to say which stage are you in. Mm-hmm. Um, and I forget the exact wording of the stages, but it's either you need to stabilize, you need to protect or secure, you need to build, grow your business or invest. Those are sort of the maturity stages that I find. And so the quiz tells you which stage you're in. And then three things that I think people need to focus on to make more money at each stage and then move up through, through the sort of maturity scale. So go do that for sure. That's a real step-by-step on what to do. That's going to take a lot of the confusion and a lot of the, what do I do next away for for people. So I think that's really, really helpful. All right. So everybody, I will leave links so that you can listen to Sarah's podcast. You can take the quiz and you can connect with her on social media. And I really, really hope that you have enjoyed listening to this episode as much as I have enjoyed chatting with Sarah today. And I will see you in the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Simpler Business Podcast. If you did, please subscribe, rate, and review us on Apple Podcasts. There's a link in the show notes to make it nice and easy for you, just the way we like it. If you're ready to simplify and scale your business, you can get started with my free audio class at marissaroberts.com. See you next time.